Hello, and welcome to Leading Inspired Learning, a Strive podcast. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Ali Scott. I'm the project manager of Strive, and I will be your host on today's episode. Today, we welcome Todd Dickey. Welcome, Todd. Hello. Thank you for having me. Todd is an RECE working in Elgin County, uh, but he's been in the sector working with children for many years, but just recently in the licensed child care capacity. Yes, last year. So we're going to talk all things Elgin, all things you, uh, what it means to be a man in this profession, which is predominantly women because you are a man. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Do you want to just start with telling us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your career path and how you got here? Uh, I always tell people it started with uh, grade one for me. I had a teacher that was just really impactful in my life. And when I got to high school and I had to make a choice on what I wanted to do, I thought, what has happened in my life so far that would kind of help determine what I wanted to do? And I thought that was such a great positive experience. I love that. I want to be a teacher. Yeah. So then I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to teacher's college. But first, yeah. I thought I want to do early childhood education. Oh, you did think that first. I did think that at okay. first. And then during my first placement, I encountered a situation where there was um, some abuse. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was like, okay, I can't abide by that. I need to do something that's not... Um, I need to do something. And so I decided yeah. to pivot and thought, I want to go work for CAS now. Okay. So then I altered my career path and I decided I want to get into social work. So then throughout my social work field placement, I started working or I started doing a placement with uh, Marymount Family Support and Crisis yeah. Center. And, and that's where I kind of found my real passion of like, I want to help families through those difficulties and through those transitions and kind of strengthen mm. their relationship and kind of help people through difficult times. And yeah. that's what I did from 2006 till about 2022. Wow. That must have been really difficult. I think by nature, early years professionals are empathetic people. And sometimes we often like take on what our children and our Mm -hmm. programs and care are going for. So to work in crisis care for so many years, it must have been taking a toll on you. It has definite challenges. Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate to come from a very loving, very open family. Mm. And I wanted that for other children. So to me, it was a lot of like, I know I can be a positive uh, impact, I can have a positive impact on children, and especially being a male in this field, yeah. specifically in the crisis care field, there's not a lot of positive males in some children's lives, mm-hmm. and I got to be that for a lot of them, and Aww. there's not many jobs you can walk into, and you know, they're like, yeah, Todd's here, they're so excited, <laughs> they're cheering, kids are running over for high fives and hugs, like, I've never had a job like that before, so it, it definitely had challenges, but the positives outweighed it so mm. dramatically. So why the shift to licensed child care? I was ready for a change. Um, The current position I was in, I was working with uh, Refugees New to Canada Mm -hmm. for a couple of years um, through Marymount Family Sport and Crisis Center in collaboration with the Cross-Cultural Learner Center. Oh, great, yeah. Um, Once COVID kind of came and put the kibosh on being able to support those families as they arrived to London, Mm -hmm. um, I kind of went back to doing uh, relief work. So my hours are kind of all over the place. Ah. Um, I have a family. I have two young children, four and two. And so I was like, I I don't want to give up my weekends. I don't want to give up my evenings. As much as I love that field and I thought for a bit I was going to be a lifer at Marymount, I thought, you know, let's let's try something different. This opportunity came along to work at Milestones and I kind of just jumped at it. Amazing. And so what do you love about your current role at Milestones? Uh, It's it's a lot, but I really love going from frontline educator to supporting educators because I really feel that 
I spent so much time working on the floor with children, and I know what I wanted my supervisors to be aware of. Okay. I know I wanted how I wanted that relationship to be. Yep. And so I really like that I can kind of now be that for others. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously still learning and still growing in my role. It's we only always been are. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I really love that I can be the person I always wanted my supervisors to be. Mm. So you hold a supervisory role at Milestones? Yes, I'm a program manager at Milestones. So does that mean um, you're mostly not working directly with children? Unfortunately, I am far removed from the children, but yeah. there are opportunities I get to go look for bugs or cover in a room <laughs> or do a program visit or even just walk the halls and get to see the children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what you worked in, in crisis care, which obviously you felt had a significant impact, specifically being a male role model. How does your role now, how is that similar? How is that different? What impacts are you seeing now? Uh, in terms of being a male, it's it's hard. I, I like being a bit of a face around um, milestones and that, hey, there's a, a guy working here. It's yeah. uh, When I first started in this field, hard to believe, I had like a bright pink mohawk. I had piercings all over the place because <laughs> I didn't care how I looked. I was yeah. a little punk rocker and I thought, yeah. you know, maybe people will see me and go, hey, he's actually someone who's really good with kids and he's... A normal person he just looks a little different i thought right. oh, maybe that will help and um have you faced any concern from families whether being your current position or your previous position in crisis care um that you are a man uh, oh 100 yeah. percent um, uh, especially when i was in crisis care having families where they might have had a traumatic experience involving a male in their life mm -hmm. there was a lot of apprehensive of we don't want this person um, with crisis care at Marymount, I was doing uh, respite work as well, so it'd be twenty four seven. So there'd be I'd be working in the evening sometimes, getting children dressed, bathed, yep. put in bed, rubbing their backs, all that yep. kind of stuff. And families would say, "We don't want him doing that." And mm. I had a really supportive supervisor who would tell them, "Like, here's our staff. He's passed all these um, yep. vulnerable sector screenings. He's been yep. in RCE for like over a decade. Yep. This is the staff that he's going to be with." But at the same time, I also understand that apprehensive, so I will make accommodations. Right. I noticed it a lot more when I started working with refugees because culturally males don't look after children. I and so I faced say. a lot of families would ignore me and talk to the other staff in the rooms that were females. Ah. I have, would have people go express concerns. I remember I remember showing up to one of my first placements and, with a group of um, other ECE students. And the person let us in. They were walking everyone to the door. Yep, come on in, come on in. They got to me and they said, stop, who are you? I need a CID, call the school. Oh, gosh. I got vetted for like 30 minutes while the rest of my classmates just walked right in without any sort of, um, as much as a, who are you? What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've always kind of felt that at times. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember even uh, when I was a director of a center, I had a couple, it was a large center and a couple male educators. And I would have to deal with some parent and family complaints or concerns around specifically around like bathroom time changing mm -hmm. diapers that kind of thing because i and and i we touched on it too the, the cultural relevance here and it's not to say that one is right or wrong it's just a difference mm -hmm. so how can we overcome some of those um, cultural differences and beliefs around our sex and our work with children Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that was a big one. I, I have to process that one. I don't think I'd have an answer off the top of my head. <laughs> um, it is nice to see a lot more males in the field. Yeah. Um, I know it's not a profession a lot of people seek out and my entire life was kind of like what are you what are you going into that field for mm. um, you know you don't we're, we're underpaid we're overworked all those things that I'm sure we've all, all heard our things. entire lives but 
they would say you love what you do you don't work a day in your life and yeah. well i you know i definitely work i love what i do so much that that stuff has never really bothered me like i was mm-hmm. happy to I'm, I'm really happy to do what i do yeah yeah that's beautiful um you touched a little bit on you know our entire sector is is underpaid and, and overworked i know advocacy is a big passion of yours um, you're part of the Leaders for Change group, which I know is a little bit on hiatus at the moment, mm-hmm. but there's been some great momentum in Elgin County around advocacy. Do you want to talk a little bit about your work with that? It's hard because we haven't got to do a whole lot in the last little yeah. bit. Um, we had our sugar cooker, sugar cookie social back in January, which really started the conversation. Yeah. Um, and then we've all kind of had to take a, a step back because we're just, just kind of spread so thin right now with For what sure. we're doing. Um, but as much as we can, we've been trying to get the message out. The big thing with early childhood educators is that understanding your leaders as well. It's not just a matter of we're leaders for change. We're here to tell you kind of how to advocate. But we want people to recognize as well that you're a leader. When you're, You may not know you're advocating, but you're advocating. If a parent mm-hmm. asks for help, if a co-educator asks you for support, if you're sharing information, you're advocating. I found a lot of people weren't aware that they were advocating until we kind of had that conversation. Mm. The kind of little a advocacy. Yeah. it's ad- I think people um, a lot of times associate advocacy with like protests and going out to Queen's Park and these rallies that are happening and all these signs and, and posters and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much to be said for little a advocacy and our everyday work that contributes to positive change. Mm-hmm. So what, what types of things, you, you've alluded to a couple of things, just conversations with coworkers, et cetera. What else could folks who are listening do that won't take up too much time because we are overworked <laughs> <laughs> to support our sector as a whole? I really feel like, you know, sharing that being seen as professionals is mm. such a, I, you know, how long, how many times have you been told, oh, you're just, you're babysitting. Yeah. It's a daycare. Like it's, yes. it's frustrating. And, and sharing those little bits of why we're professionals, like the professional learning we do, how we support each other. Um, there's so many little in the moment things that I, I can't even think of right yeah. now. Um, but it's just, it's sharing what you're passionate about with people that might not know, with, with yeah. parents, with, with children, with, with others, with in other fields. Amazing. Yeah. I think that, um, a, a kind of common thread that we've seen through this podcast, we've seen with um, professional learning work we've been doing this year, is um, this, this idea of language and that the language that we use is really powerful and a form of advocacy. We talked about it on um, our podcast during um, Pride Fest. We did a whole podcast celebration and recordings there. And even the language we use with children and families about we not assuming there are parents that mm-hmm. it's either families or your grown-ups just the language we use to be inclusive and on the flip side of that to tie back to advocacy the language that we use to be seen as professionals because mm-hmm. i think daycare is one of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> we don't care for the day yeah and we don't just care for a day or the day um, we are caring professionals we care for children and that is not a single day or just a multiple days in a row it's like you said this is our love our joy our passion yeah that's why we do this work yeah people aren't going into ece to be millionaires to like change their career life trajectory (laughs) it's because they love what they do yes 
And there's not many, I, I think a lot of the caring professions, but outside of that, there isn't many jobs where most folks can say, this is my heart work. Mm-hmm. This is what I love to do. I do this because I love it. Yeah. Um, it's not fair that that often comes with a lower paycheck <laughs> than some other professions that don't involve the heart as much. Um, but I think there is a common almost misconception that our industry is paid less, therefore we are valued less. Um, and I think it also ties into the fact that our field is predominantly women, um, becomes a feminist issue, um, that that's just quote-unquote women's work mm-hmm. and therefore less valuable. So how are you helping to break down some of those historic <laughs> notions? At the top of my head, you spend your entire life hearing how children are the most important natural resource. Children are so important, but yeah. the people who are helping support children as they're growing, it's, eh, forget about them. They're, they're not so important. Yeah. And letting people see and the impact of really quality childcare, not just a matter of, hey, you're going to go to this person's house, stay there for eight hours, I'll pick you up later. Right. It's not at all what childcare is. Yeah. There is so much about, you know, coping skills, uh, helping children regulate emotions. Like there's just, there's so much to it and yeah. helping people to understand that, um, quality childcare reverberates throughout the community mm-hmm. it impacts this child's life where then it's going to impact more children's lives they're going to go on they're going to do more things and it's going to continue into their you know they have a great day they go home uh the family family has a great day they have a great night next day everyone's in a good mood yeah it kind of continues and it just it keeps rippling out through the community and sure. i just want to be a part of that regardless male or female like, yeah there's yeah, just there's sure. so much value to to that yeah it's breaking down those those preconceived notions and refocusing on what's really important, and that's the children. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sometimes, and you know, I don't get to work directly with children anymore. Neither do you. You get to, you get a little more exposure every to now the, and then the children than, yeah. than I do, unfortunately. But it's easy to lose sight of, especially when you're in a leadership role of why we're doing what we do, because it is exhausting. It's overwhelming. There's so much especially with all the regulations and ministry and funding and all these sort of other things that are happening. How can leaders or folks in similar type positions as you um, refocus on what's important? You really hit the nail on the head with uh, why you're doing what you're doing. One of my favorite professors in uh, school uh, was Cheryl Regabar was her name, I believe. Yeah, Cheryl Third now, yeah. And she told me... um, you know, one of the most important things was, why are you doing what you're doing? And every time I kind of do anything I start, it's like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because it has to be done for the ministry? Or is it like, I, I look at my children. I always have, I have thousands of pictures of my kids all over the place. Yeah. And it's like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And just always keeping in mind, yes, we have to appease the ministry. Yes, we have to adhere to certain guidelines, but it's not, we're doing it for the children. And this, it's keeping that in mind is the, like, it's going to be the crucial thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, are your children in care? Yeah, actually, both of them are at Milestones as well. Oh, amazing. Yeah, it's nice. We get a commute to and from uh, school slash work every day. Yeah, together. Oh, yeah. that's so nice. Well, and so you're seeing it now not only from the ECE, the RECE lens, but you're also seeing it through the lens of your children. And I know when I became a parent, that changes things. Oh, big time. 
Yeah. And um, one of the biggest things I found was when I first started there um, in April, it was my children didn't start attending till I want to say December. Okay. And, you know, I saw how great the educators were. I really loved my interactions with them. But then my children started to go there. And then I really, really appreciated just how incredible all the educators at that center are because yeah. I was seeing firsthand the impact it would have on their days at home, the next day, on the weekends, talking about going to school. And it kind of reinforced that, like, this is the difference between a quality child care and what we can do for children and families. Yeah, absolutely. I know when um, my son started, he just goes part-time to childcare. He's home with family other days, but there are things that he has learned at childcare that I know are from childcare. Like he scrapes his dish mm -hmm. after lunch and puts it in the sink. That wasn't taught at home. <laughs> my my two-year-old signs all the time with everything. Yes. And I was like, wait, is that sign language? And I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, it is. Look at that. That must have been school because I am not. I don't have the time to teach him uh, sign language right now. Yeah. So it's absolutely incredible. I know even for my son, just part-time, the skills, the social implications, um, the like lifelong skills and, and experiences that, that these children are getting. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me so grateful to work in the sector that absolutely. I do. Because I'm seeing it firsthand. Yeah, with especially him. with COVID, my oldest, Ben, he's four. Yeah. And like he was born pretty much right around COVID. So it right. was, don't come near him. You're not allowed to talk to them. Keep your distance. Yes. So first starting school, he was so apprehensive about anything. Mm. I go pick him up now and like he has to give his friends hugs and kisses goodbye. Oh. And he's just, there's skills that I know I, you know, I've, I've taught him how to make friends. I'd like to think somewhat. Of course. But there's skills <laughs> and interactions that his educators are supporting him with and he's, he's doing on his own. And it just like, it makes me want to cry. I'm so happy to see just how incredible he's doing on his own, not with me by his side all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are great teachers because we're their parents and or their families and we're their first, and we always believe it in, in early childhood education, your first child's first teacher. And what we do is important, but sometimes, and especially for different um, families from different backgrounds, sometimes your skills are limited and you need community support to help. Mm -hmm. This idea of like, the village raises the child, right? This um, idea that it isn't meant parenting and, and isn't really meant to be a, a solo endeavor or a, a, a couple or a whatever endeavor. It's meant to be together mm -hmm. with all types. So whether that be early on family programming or family centers or childcare or extended family members, it's this idea that we don't know it all mm -hmm. as a parents and and childcare helps us with some of the things that we may lack in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, especially in your um, career path with crisis care, you were exposed to a lot of families that potentially were more lacking than not um, when it came to the skills and, and things they could provide for their children. So we really do help kind of fill those cups. Mm -hmm. A little bit. Um, do you notice a difference in the types of families you work with from going to crisis care to licensed child care? Is there different needs? There's definitely different needs. Um, in crisis care, a lot of some of it was court mandated, some of it was planned respite because parents are just might have, say, seven children, single parent, no supports in place. They need right. a bit of uh, time to recoup for their mental health. Um, the families we see now, like there's, there's laughter in the hallways all the time. Mm. There's the families interacting with each other. Like it's, it's like a big hangout. Yeah. Um, at Marymount, everything was confidential. People couldn't know who else was in the building. Right. Um, sometimes there's this family has to leave by this door. You have to leave by this door because you're not allowed to interact with each other. Ah. So it was constantly kind of 
not on edge, but a little more like intense. A little more intense, exactly. Um, now it's just, it's a joy to walk into work. We just hear you know kids crying every now and then, of but it's, it's <laughs> laughter, it's conversation, it's a place families will want to. They're excited to come into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, do you want to play a game? Sure. We want to get to know you better. Alrighty. <laughs> so it's a rapid fire game. Um, you can either like just answer or you can justify it if you need to. That's okay too. We say rapid fire, but if you need to explain, that's fine. Based on the answer, I may need to justify but I feel pretty comfortable. <laughs> okay. We'll start with your favorite children's book. Uh, as a child myself, I really liked short poetry type stuff. So I'm going to say Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. Oh, that's beautiful. Yep. And as an educator, do you have a different favorite? Uh, I really love books I can read to my children that kind of teach equality and like doing the right thing over what might feel right sometimes uh, and like kind of help my children to see, you know, right things aren't always easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, your favorite age group to work with? Uh, preschool. That one's easy. <laughs> I, 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 infants are great. I love infants. I love toddlers, preschool, school age. The whole range of children are yeah. a joy to work with. But I find preschool, I really thrive because they're so open and in, open to new experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't they don't like naps. They don't like getting their hands dirty. They're not at that point where they've developed prejudices. They're, yeah. they're, they're excited about everything. And so I found it's really easy to get them excited about science or math or any other activity I might have, like, lined up that day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you've broken our, our toddler streak. We've been on a bit of a toddler streak oh, on the podcast, good to hear. which is like toddlers. my worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, your favorite professional learning that you've attended? Ah, uh, geez, there's been a couple. I really like the one last year, Heart Working So Much More, yeah. because it was my first one in this sector. And seeing the community kind of come together mm -hmm. and how just how much support there is for each other was it uh, blew my my mind. I was not used to that sort of um, community presence. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed just seeing the the difference in past peels I've gone to where it's very, you arrive, you show up, you talk, gone. Mm. The one part where it felt very engaging and very like, we're, we're in this together. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, I'm going to say chocolate because if I didn't, my son would be mad at me. Oh, is that your son's favorite? It is. If I had an actual favorite, it would be vanilla, but paired with a hot brownie of some sort. Ooh. Yeah. Delish. Right? Uh, your favorite podcast. You do mention you love podcasts. I do. So as a podcast I've been listening to for 16 years. 16? 16. It's one of like the very first podcasts that came out. I remember wow. talking about it and people thought I was insane talking about internet radio. I didn't even know podcasts existed yeah, 16 It's called uh, Never Not Funny. Um, it, they're on like season 35, I think. Wow. And they do about four to five hours of content a week and i've slowed down in the past couple months because i just don't have time but yeah. i would listen to six hours of podcasts every week from this one specific one wow okay well we'll link it in our in our bio i'm sure they'll appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if anyone in our sector has six hours a week to spare on a podcast but... no it's 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 even like it's behind a paywall half of their content and oh. i had a, i had a budget specifically for my podcast because <laughs> i couldn't it got to the point where after 12 years i'm like i can't stop if I stop now, I'm like, I'm going to miss everything. And then it got to the point where it became a chore. And it's like, I have to, finding time now is just a, a challenge. At yes. Well, I mean, I get that. I get invested like Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. I'm still diehard. The entire cast has changed. Even the main character has changed. And I'm like, I'm not giving up on this. I've put so many years into this show. I'm yeah. not. So I, I get that. I get that mentality. Awesome. 
Well, Todd, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your perspective. Um, you have a unique uh, pathway that brought you to your position here today, and we love to hear it. I'm happy to talk about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Todd. No problem. Thanks so much for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram at Leading Inspired Learning Pod or on our website at striveswo.ca slash podcast. I would love to have you tell a friend or colleague about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next time.